It's time for episode 397 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Bienvenido de nuevo a Clockwise, el podcast tecnológico. It's Cinco de Mayo. Happy May 5th, everyone. My name is Dan Morton, and I am joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my dungeon buddy. It's Mr. Micah Sargent. Micah, how are you doing today? I am doing well, and I have to tell you, I did not connect the dots. I saw a Spanish <laughs> language intro for today's episode, and I didn't recognize that it was because it was May the 5th, but very clever. Very there clever. you go. I will say, uh, I had a longer one, and then I remembered, I don't speak Spanish. So I decided not to do that, <laughs> uh, well, which I think was the right choice. Yeah. Uh, well, this is, of course, the show where we talk Four Tech Topics with two fantastic guests. To my left this week, it is a senior editor of consumer technology at Gizmodo and one of my former colleagues from Macworld, Caitlin McGarry. Welcome back, Caitlin. Hello. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. And to my left, it is the master of series shortcuts and all related automation, as well as my co-host on Smart Tech Today. It's Matthew Casanelli. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Micah. How are you doing? Doing well and glad to have you here. This feels familiar, just like our. There's <laughs> <laughs> just two other people. interlopers here. Yeah. All right, I'll kick things off today. Apple is increasingly coming under fire for its App Store policies, and the possibility of regulation and government intervention is sort of looming out there. My question for you is Would you be okay sideloading apps from other places onto your phone or using other payment methods other than the iTunes Store? Do you feel comfortable with that? You think that's a good idea? Caitlin, what do you think? I think that I would be comfortable with that. I mean, so I already do that on the Mac, right? Like if there's something that I want to install and it's not available in the Mac app store, I just go to the developer site and get it and everything has worked out fine for me thus far. So, um, (laughs) you know, I obviously, uh, you know, having the app store and having everything vetted is, is great for privacy and keeping malware off of your devices. But Um, Honestly, I think that probably is the best way for Apple to sort of mitigate all of this, um, all of these allegations about anti-competitive behavior. And since they are already used to doing it on the Mac, I I think it's, you know, I think it's probably going to be fine for the iPhone and iPad. But um, obviously, there's a lot to it. And I, I, those devices are very different. But I don't know. I think I would be comfortable with it. I I obviously wouldn't be like hunting down weird stuff um, unless it was for my job, in which case I I probably would. So, you know, that that might open me up to a whole world of of hurt. But um, in terms of just like regular consumer activity, I think it would be fine. Yeah. So while I personally would be uh, okay with sideloading apps, if I, you know, there was something that I wanted to check out, something I wanted to try that wasn't in the app store. I'd be fine with that. I just, my concern is every story I've heard about uh, people who they're on some site and they get a pop up that says, you might have viruses on your iPhone. And they're taken to a page where they can download some CRUD app that's available in the App Store. And when it's available in the App Store, 
there are at least some protections in place, uh, not not a bunch, and there are apps that do make it into the App Store that aren't good. Uh, but I just worry about how much more uh, damage can be done when an app does not exist uh, within the the bounds of the App Store, because it, kind of the the way that we would see this happen is you would kind of agree, okay, um, I'm taking off the the bumpers uh, along the bowling alley, and you get to just go out and and you know play around with all these apps, and there are just too many folks who unfortunately um, would sort of get bamboozled by following along with uh, the step-by-step process that this scammer uh, puts into place on, here's how you get this app that you definitely need. And it's just, it, I worry about that a lot. I worry about that a whole lot. So I don't know, I don't know what the solution is going to end up being for Apple and if they end up having to allow this, but uh, I'm concerned for folks who aren't as technologically minded as us. What do you think, Matthew? Well, Caitlin changed my mind, and then you changed my mind back. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is so much potential out there, but also those that both for positive and negative issues to arise. So I think it's it's very complex. I don't necessarily see a whole lot of benefit in the payment method part as much, unless Apple changed the policy to just allow developers and those. and companies to make more money through the app store versus using PayPal or something like that. I don't necessarily see all. I mean, maybe there's just like some sort of business alignment there for expenses. It's in my experience personally, but um, I mean, sideloading apps, even I, I know it's not the exact same thing, but I run the beta software all the time and that's very often not a great experience. So Apple right. does it themselves too. I've never thought about that where they have the uh they can make money with services too but they can also provide the bad software themselves as well. So <laughs> I am not I do I would appreciate a little bit more ability to sideload apps from beta testing and things like that in a different way besides just one giant list in test flight or something like that. Maybe yeah. there could be some more like layers to that especially for testers or press or something like that as well. But those are again pretty specific situations. I've I've kind of come around on the idea of sideloading apps. It's something that I feel like I was closer to what Micah was thinking for a while there, and I still think it's something that should be uh, locked down at least as far as you know something like macOS goes, right? Like where there are multiple warnings and you can bypass them, but the, you know at the end of the day, um, it's not something that's generally suggested. And I I agree that there is a he there is a risk to people out there, especially those who are not as technologically savvy and might get tricked or duped into doing things. But I think potentially some of that can be offset just depending on how difficult or, um, you know, involved you make enabling it, right? Like even if it was maybe something, I realize this is not exactly what Apple will do, but, you know, if you had to enable it on your Mac while your iPhone was connected to it or something like that, where it's like, okay, this is a process that hopefully most people will think twice about doing. Um, and, you know, as some people have pointed out, Epic's argument in their court case with Apple is just about providing other storefronts 
um, which at least then gives you some degree potentially of like, well, I hope those other storefronts are vetting people at least as well as Apple is doing, if not hopefully better in some cases. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that, that there's arguments to that as well. I think that the fundamentally it's going to have to change one way or another. And I think it's interesting to think about how Apple will implement that when it comes around. Thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic today, which comes from Caitlin. Yeah, so um, I've spent the last uh, couple weeks with AirTags, um, so I wanted to get your thoughts um, specifically on you know the thing that makes AirTags so good and so capable and better than other Bluetooth trackers is the Find My Network, which lets you track objects you know, extremely closely, but also lets you track people in a pretty concerning way. So I wanted to get your take on, you know, if that's something that you'd thought about, um, if you plan to buy them still, is that something you're you're thinking about now that we know how well the Find My Network works, especially in, you know, densely populated areas with lots of Apple devices around? Um, are you a Bluetooth tracker kind of person? Let, let's hear it. So I... I in the past, not really a Bluetooth tracker kind of person. With the billion phones in people's pockets, I do think that the AirTag uh, system is a much improved system. Um, and as far as the privacy concerns go, this is a little column A, a little column B, because I do understand the concern that because you've got such a robust network, um, tracking gets even better versus some of the other trackers that are out there. At the same time, there have kind of always been uh, methods by which folks who were looking to track someone could do so. You can go to Amazon and buy a GPS, um, you know, battery powered GPS tracking device that doesn't even need a robust network to to work. There were lots of ways that were available already and so for that I think that you know it it has it has had to always be a concern for folks that um a an abuser would find a way to track somebody. And so I don't I guess what I'm saying there is like this is not in my, you know, opinion and a unique uh, ability. So it's something I'm aware of. And I absolutely, you know, think that this has to be something that continues to be paid attention to and that changes have uh, to be open uh, to be made for the, for this. But um, as far as it goes, uh, I've, I, I ordered four of them. And uh, I think they're pretty cool, but I don't leave my house right now. So I have <laughs> not had the issue of losing anything. So they're just kind of uh, little pieces of flair I have connected to things. Matthew, what about you? Yeah, so I think it's definitely something to be concerned about. But I think what's very interesting, I mean, this isn't unique to Apple also, but I think the way that they can sort of change how they work with software makes sense. I'm pretty sure, I don't remember exactly where I saw this quoted, but that Apple was like not really sure how long the span of when it would alert you or not initially. It was like up to three days, and then now I think it's even the same day. But I've seen some people concerned that even if you brought it back home and then it alerted you, they would still know that you're in your home. So that's already a little bit too late. So I think the I think the technical engineering Apple probably has down, but I think the social engineering is something that's, it's just a complicated situation. So I'm not really sure if that's going to improve out or not. I guess we'll kind of have to wait and see there. Um, 
I think the ultra wide band technology and the find my network for devices is super interesting. And as well as just the air tags, I, I'm making a YouTube video about this, so I'm going to give away one of my lines, but I feel like it was about you know where the air tag is, but it also allows your phone to know precisely where you are in your house and, and also with the privacy in mind. Um, so I think there could be some sort of like local smart home stuff that you could do. Like you walk into the room and your air tag knows that you're in that room and then all the lights turn on as opposed to a literal motion sensor. It could be sort of a proximity sensor there. So I think there's, I think the feature itself is going to do what it says really well, but I think there's going to be a lot more to it. Yeah, I, I was also not a Bluetooth tracker person. I did buy a four-pack, which I've got here, and my wife immediately took one of them and attached them to her keys, which is great because she frequently misplaces those keys. So that will hopefully fix that problem. I admit, I agree I, with Caitlin. You wrote a great story on Gizmodo, Caitlin, about the sort of concerns of privacy with this in terms of how people can use the air tags to uh, potentially track somebody who may not be wanted. And Apple, I think, is, is well-meaning in the way they're trying to combat this. And while they may not have gotten far enough yet, I think, as, as Matthew says, their ability to refine that over time, hopefully, will be able to you know make a big difference. Fundamentally, at a certain level, Technology is always going to have risks, um, and so hopefully they can mitigate those as many as, as much as possible. I think it's impossible to get rid of it entirely. That's unfortunately just the way it is. Um, I do agree also that I'm interested to see whether there are some other things that could be uh, you know, sort of uh, integrated in terms of features. For example, I put an AirTag in my wallet. It's not great because I don't want to sit on it, but I usually take my wallet out of my pocket when I'm at my desk. And what I would love is if my phone, for example could let me know when I've like left the house without my wallet. <laughs> like if I get out to the porch, it could like buzz or something and be like, oh, by the way, your wallet is still in the house. Did you mean to leave it there? <laughs> so I, I think there are some other interesting possibilities that could be done with it. Uh, I'm impressed with the technology so far. Uh, and I, I think that Apple, like I said, I think Apple's taking precautions where they can, and I hope they remain open and continue to tweak it as it goes. Yeah. Um. So I, I agree with you. I thought the unwanted tracking um, when it was announced uh, was, you know, really thoughtful. Other companies with Bluetooth trackers don't do anything like that. But I do think it needs to be fine-tuned and and quickly, which it sounds like Apple could do if, if they decided to. Um, because right now, you know, you're supposed to get an alert when when you're out and the tracker is with you, Apple won't say um, how long it takes for you to get that alert. But in my testing, you know, it's it's been hours with no alert. So that's very problematic. And then another method is when you return home. And then another method is at the end of the day. So there's three different methods, but none of them seem to work quite as advertised. So I think that definitely needs to be improved quickly. Just just by virtue of it being, you know, a potentially ubiquitous device, like Apple just has that responsibility because people buy Apple products more than other products. That's just a fact. So um, and then with the Android uh, uh, integration, you don't get an alert for three whole days, which is just I mean, come on. At that point, you're not even trying like that's mm -hmm. absurd. So I definitely think Apple needs to step it up here for sure. All right. Well, that is two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And we're going to tell you about one of this week's sponsors. Folks, this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. 
Supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander. Your team can do more with the same resources. That means less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency. So your team will feel like they've hopped off a bicycle and into a Ferrari or a jet or a very fast dog. With Text Expander, you can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current by sharing your text and images with the whole staff to keep them on track, which makes sure everyone will share the same message and give the same answers to all customer questions. Help your team work faster and smarter by using Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything everyone types. Text Expander's powerful snippets save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest of the typing for you. Keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. Share your snippets of messaging, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. I love Text Expander. I use it every single day. And in fact, it saves me so much time. And it's one of the first, it's like, one password and then Text Expander are the first things that get installed on any new Mac. Uh, plus, it's you can use it on so many different devices. It's available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. As a producer at Twit, uh, there are times whenever I have repetition uh, in the tasks that I do, and Text Expander saves me so much time. You out there, just you've got to try it. You just need to try it. Clockwise listeners get twenty percent off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast now to have your mind awakened to the awesome that is Text Expander. And of course, our thanks to Text Expander and the great people at Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, uh, we are back from halftime and it is my turn. I've got a simple question for you. How important is email to your day-to-day workflow? Matthew? Well, of course, I'm going first, but I actually don't do much email at all because i've very specifically built my business and lifestyle to avoid it as at all costs but ironically just this week i missed an email that i definitely should have replied to so that did not benefit me well normally we get um feedback for our podcast smart tech today mike i mean micah and i um through an email and I thought another email was one of those feedback pieces. And so I set it aside until Thursday when I really should have responded to it on Monday. So it's not as critical to my workflow, but in the times that it is, it's not great that I don't have as much of a handle on it. Yeah, I guess it's because I'm I'm old. <laughs> like email was the thing I've I've had an email address for, you know, 25, 30 years or something. And so it's always been sort of a de facto way of doing things. I agree. It's gotten less and less. And I spend, I find myself, you know, spending more time triaging things I don't care about in email. But I do still have a lot of cases where I feel like email is sort of the critical record, if only because it allows for a few things that sort of other methods don't allow for. Like it allows for some asynchronous uh, conversation because I find it way easier to shoot an email off and then like not worry about it than to like dm somebody or text them and then like why aren't they responding why aren't they responding <laughs> right now whereas an email is like yeah fine if i don't get a response for 24 hours i don't really sweat it too much so that's still unfortunately for better or worse the way i do a lot of business caitlin what about you well unfortunately for me email completely rules my life and there is <laughs> no escaping it <laughs> um i can't even imagine a world in which i don't have to deal with email all day every day um, 
in terms of like communicating with my coworkers, it's all Slack, but you know, I get pitches from companies via email. I get, you know, embargoed opportunities and interview opportunities and deal with freelancers. And it's just, yeah, I, I basically keep it at inbox zero. And that's only because I check email literally every second of the day. So Matthew, I'm extremely jealous that your life does not revolve around email. <laughs> That's why I was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's horrible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. To having to check email that much. I uh, So email used to be kind of the main means of communication with the outside world. Uh, when I was working at, at Mobile Nations, of course, internally, we used Slack. Um, in the new job that I have now as a host and producer, um, email is the way that we invite guests onto the show. Um, and it's the way to kind of have announcements made or, or big messages made that need to go out to everybody. But outside of that, email is not uh, something that we use. And so I think for several years now, I have had notifications for emails turned off. I don't have the uh, red badge. I don't have uh, those those notifications pop up on my Mac. Um, I have s- sort of, there are special contacts that sort of VIP contacts that do still send me notifications. But outside of that, I just pop open my mail app every once in a while and, and give it a little, a little looky loo. Uh, oh but God. as far <laughs> I'm as, so bitter. I'm sitting here just <laughs> stewing in bitterness. <laughs> stewing in bitterness might have to be the title of the show, but um, I, <laughs> the one thing I wish is that I wish that inbox zero came with me, that desire to get to inbox zero, because now I just have many, many, many unread emails, but they're mostly unimportant ones. So hopefully I haven't missed you. If I have, don't send me an email, message me somewhere else. All right, let us move on to our final topic, which comes from Matthew. Okay, so the iPad Pro has just gone on pre-order last Friday, and I'd say it's as close to fully quote-unquote pro as ever. Whether or not you agree with that is up to the individual, but um. I think the obvious piece missing now is going to be the software and what comes at WWDC. And so I'm curious for each of you, what is one app or specific workflow that you personally would need for it to serve that role? And please be as nerdy as possible. <laughs> well, uh, I can answer that. And in one, uh, one word, audio. Uh, the audio support on an iPad is terrible compared to the Mac, um, which is to say it is very, very hard to record a podcast on an iPad. It can be done, but all the things I rely on for my workflow, like audio hijack, or being able to record both a local microphone and talk to people online, kind of critical for recording a podcast, uh, none of that works. So I think it's extremely disappointing to me that after a decade, Apple has still not addressed this issue of like building out the audio framework to such a level as it can do even the most basic of things uh and as far as that goes like i can do a lot of stuff on an ipad um from you know writing uh publishing like all that stuff is actually pretty good but on the audio like standpoint it's just it's a non-starter it's a total non-starter and it's incredibly disappointing so i'm hopeful that maybe maybe this is the year i say that every year it's never the year (laughs) caitlin what about you um i can get most of my work done on the ipad um but there's one app that still does not work 
quite as well as it does on the Mac and it's critical for my workflow. Um, and that's Airtable. And it's so weird to me that the iOS version still kicks you to the web for really basic things, but it, it messes me up every single time. And because I have to work in Airtable constantly, I check it as much as I check my email, which is like unhinged, but, um, yeah, because that doesn't work quite as well as it does on the Mac. Like, I just cannot work on the iPad. And it sucks that it's just this very specific app. <laughs> I, I just got to go with what Dan said because um, I'm acknowledging it. Uh, it is truly the the thing that I wish the iPad was better at, um, specifically for recording audio to uh, my iPad, uh, you know, using it as a podcasting machine, especially now that there's going to be this camera in it that can zoom in and zoom out and pan uh, with sort of in software. I think that that's the big thing. But the uh, other one that I would mention is a better video editing workflow. There are some third-party tools out there, uh, but I am well-versed in Final Cut Pro um, as that used to be my job many a moon ago. And so I wish that Final Cut Pro existed uh, on the iPad, given you know the breadth of knowledge that I have with it and my joy with using it on, on the Mac. Um, but video editing on the iPad as it currently stands is so zippy quick that it would be really cool to have Final Cut Pro on there and be able to use that um, especially with that beautiful new screen on the 12.9 inch. Man, I'd love that. Matthew, why don't you round us out? Sure. Um, great answers. I need to do every single one of those things myself and can't do them on the iPad as well. And Caitlin, specifically Airtable, I've talked about their iOS app so much that I'm pretty <laughs> sure their marketing team knows that I complain about it often. It's so infuriating. <laughs> so I don't get it. <laughs> um, I also use shortcuts to tap into the Airtable api so i should probably send you some stuff yes please <laughs> um, please do so i think sp specifically i do record audio and do like live stream audios with micah and then also video editing as well so those are all things that as soon as those become even more available i'm gonna go to town with it i think since those are all taken i'm gonna say cross-platform automation mm -hmm. because i really like building shortcuts and improving stuff that I can do on my iPhone and iPad, but I wish that would transfer over to the desktop where there is more just clear productivity workflows. So I think this is kind of a, I don't know, you guys already took my answers. So I just want shortcuts on the Mac as well so that all of this can, you can flow seamlessly across devices and use the best one for the role, which I do think the iPad would serve so many roles there. So it's going to be it's very fascinating, especially now that it has the M1 chip. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is four topics down, which means we've reached the end of our show. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. However, first, let me tell you this week's episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Public Sector Future. It's great to find new podcasts to listen to. It's a rainy day here where I am. It seems like a nice day to stay inside, curl up with a podcast on the couch, and maybe just chill out. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, check out Public Sector Future. It discusses real stories from public sector leaders who have been successful at driving change. Hear their first-hand experiences, challenges their users face, and lessons learned throughout the series to discuss technology and trends as well as cultural aspects of change. Host Olivia Neal digs deep into the use of digital approaches to help the public sector work better for those it serves. 
She's actually the director of digital transformation in Microsoft's worldwide public sector team. And before Microsoft, Olivia spent her career in the government of Canada and the UK government, so she knows her stuff. There's a ton of interesting show topics, including mixed reality, rules as code, digital policing, digital strategy, and digital access, plus some great guests, too, like Yolanda Martinez, digital government leader and expert, and in the top 20 of the world's 100 most influential people in digital government by Apolitical in 2018. I actually listened to the episode with her. It was really fascinating. It was talking about getting access to your digital birth certificate in Mexico, uh, which is kind of a really interesting question like i know a lot of people here in the u.s your birth certificate is so critical to getting all the other documents you need and sometimes it can be a real pain to get it uh so mexico has this really big digital document initiative to let people get access to their birth certificate thus opening up opportunities for a lot of other people very cool program very cool episode on that so check it out go and listen now just search for public sector future wherever you get your podcast that's public sector future or click the link in the show notes Go check it out. Our thanks to Public Sector Future for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, bonus topic time. Quick, do you listen to music while you work, Caitlin? Um, I have to work in complete silence, which I realize <laughs> sounds very disturbed. Um, I will open Spotify sometimes during the day and like listen to one song and then be like, I've had enough. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't work <laughs> under it. these conditions. That's the quota. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Caitlin, were you not finished yet? No, go ahead, I was. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah, I I don't, I don't tend to listen to music while I'm working, um, because it would get in the way of of what I do, so, yeah, not usually for me. You're too darn loud! (laughs) (laughs) Um, I listen to a soundscape app called Endel. Which sounds very weird now that I say it out loud, but it's got like ambient noises that adapt to your environment and like the amount of light and your things like your heart rate. So it's kind of a crazy app. I sometimes listen to music. I always feel like when it's quiet and I'm working, I'm like, why am I not listening to music? But yeah, like Micah, uh, recording podcasts, editing podcasts, the audio is right out for that. So oh, sometimes when I'm writing and I really need to get in the groove, but that's about it. Thank you for your answers to that topic. That brings us to the end of the show. All that remains is to thank our fantastic guest this week, Caitlin McGarry. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And Matthew Casanelli, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Pleasure as always. And Michael will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.